Welcome to the Clay Young Show. All right, welcome to the Clay Young Show here on podcast225.com and on iTunes. So I'm Clay along with actually my office assistant, my executive assistant, Orlanda, who's uh, here with us. You want to say hello? How's it going? Now, last week we talked about, I talked a little bit about the fundraiser that we did a couple of weekends ago at Ben 77 in Perkins Row. It benefited Warriors for Freedom. You were there actually helping with the team that was there. Just a couple of, of us were there, uh, James, you, myself, uh, in addition to the Warriors for Freedom folks who were there, the Ben staff and every and everyone with them. We did, for the weekend, at present count, about $26,000. That's wonderful. Two events, uh, a, a gathering on Sunday evening, and then a golf tournament on Monday. The golf tournament on Monday was at the University Club. And so it was great. So we get there right before smoke them if you got them. And here in Baton Rouge, it was raining bucket bucketfuls. I mean, it was just coming down. So I, I turned on the Blue Bonnet, which is a, a way to get to Perkins Row, a road here in Baton Rouge. And as I'm going, I come by the office because I had, I had to pick up some T-shirts for the event. I'm headed to the event. And I just said, you know what? This went, this rain's going to stop. It's going to stop. It's going to let up. You called it. That's right. So I see Orlando. She's walking towards the restaurant as I'm uh, parking my truck. And I think I told you that. I told you, you the weather was going to let up. So probably, what do you say? You were the only one who thought it would. Everyone <laughs> was like, some people didn't even want to show up at the beginning because well, of the rain. So I got text messages from people who thought it was going, it, that the event was either going to be canceled or pushed back. And I said, no, I said, you know, the cigar part of the event may not be able to happen if it's raining, but there's an inside area for everything else. And so the rain stopped, I guess, at about 20 minutes to five. You called it. I can't believe it actually stopped. (laughs) And it stopped. And actually it didn't really rain again until I guess a couple days or so later, because for the golf tournament the next day, day. it was gorgeous. It was warm. But it was gorgeous. I mean, it wasn't too bad out there. I mean, it was a warm day, but yeah. It's not as bad as it could be. No, no. And actually, lately, it hasn't been terrible. And if you pick up on her accent, yes, she does have an <laughs> accent. She is from Johannesburg Correct. in South Africa. And the accent is English. And she's teaching me Portuguese. Attempting to. Att- yeah, that's probably a better word. <laughs> Attempting more about me being able to pick it up than her being able to teach it. But what's the biggest difference you've noticed between the state's and then being in Johannesburg. In regards to what exactly? Just the way the people, you know, traffic, the way people move around. Oh, just goodness. The general- well, it was really hard in the beginning just because I'm used to driving on the left side of the road, um, driving a manual car. And the first time I drove an automatic car, I used both feet. And they told me, no, you <laughs> no, only need to use one <laughs> that's, that's well, right. So I had to get used to that. But traffic in Baton Rouge is just... Yeah, it is. It is frustrating. Very and, frustrating. And in this business, because the general business, you know, marketing, public relations, we generally I'm meeting with clients all over the place. And like, say, yesterday, I think we crossed Baton Rouge three times <laughs> in like uh, we did was, pretty well, according to the traffic. Well, code, according to the, the but, you know, that's the whole thing about planning to be on time. Right. I think planning to be on time is such a benefit because it's painful to show up someplace late. Right, and we make sure that we have plenty of time to spare. So if we do hit traffic, we're still fine and on but time. Still fine, and, and, and it works out. So, 
Well, we did smoke them this year. There's going to be another one next year. Obviously, this will be the third one coming up in 2016. We did 10 grand in 2014. This year, we did close to $12,000. And I think there's still a couple of checks out there that we have to get. Mm-hmm. The crowd was great. I, I think if it hadn't been for the rain earlier in oh, the there day, there would have been more. Would have been lots more people. There were lots of people that said, they, they almost didn't come. And they, yeah. yeah. And yeah. so I'm sure a lot of people didn't because they didn't know it would stop. And so I had friends of mine who said, man, I was I was kind of on the fence about whether or not I was going to make it because it was storming on their part of town. So if you didn't make the event, you missed a hell of a time at Ben 77. Wonderful. And the golf tournament was was great as well. I got to get my golf game. up. <laughs> I'm not very good at all. And I don't really put the time in to like get better at it because right. I just don't have a lot of time to do it. But I'm gonna make the time. Well, I'll stick to putt putt. You'll stick to putt. <laughs> <laughs> the see, I'm pretty good at that, and so that gets competitive, and I get oh, angry at myself, almost like Tiger Woods. You want to throw those little <laughs> fake clubs. So Orlando today, we're gonna be talking with Derek Lewis, who is a ghost writer. He is from Louisiana. He started off as a copywriter for companies. He wrote commercial copy for radio and television, but largely, uh, mostly what he did was internet and print copy, like website copy, things like that. And he transitioned from that to being a ghostwriter for people who own businesses. Like, you know, he'd, they'd, they'd give him... They'd give him their thoughts on what the book should be about. He would put it together and turn it into a book. So... We've already had the conversation, David and I, and you're about to hear it. And it's fascinating because he's got this very laid back demeanor about him. But you can tell that he's a very smart guy. And he tells a story about why he decided to bank on himself that I guarantee you is a story that almost every person who's gone into business for themselves has said. They've had that moment. And he had it and he talked about it. And I didn't just want to ask him surface questions. I wanted to get into his mind because I think it's fascinating. Writers are some fascinating people because it takes a lot to sit down and put those thoughts together and turn them into a two, three, four hundred page product. I couldn't. And it's just amazing. So you will hear Derek Lewis and he'll give you contact information about how to reach him in the interview. But I think you're going to enjoy the conversation, and it's coming up next here on The Clay Young Show. Thanks, Orlando. You're welcome. Clay Young and John Fabry back again for Infinity of Baton Rouge and Infinity of Lafayette. John, we talk about certified pre-owned all the time. What does that mean to be certified pre-owned? Well, to someone that's looking at a it's, – it's a pre-owned Infinity that has factory warranty remaining. Okay. Once we recondition it to the factory specs – Infinity will actually extend the warranty all the way out to a hundred thousand miles. Okay. So you're in a lot of cases you're buying a pre-owned car, one, two, three years old, with more warranty than a brand new car. Mm-hmm. So I mean, they're as close to new as you can get, but they're thousands less. And you know, people have this perception of pre-owned cars as having right. a higher interest rate. Right. You can actually get rates as low as point nine. That on is something nine on used? a certified pre-owned car certified is a notch above yeah used yeah yeah again hundred thousand mile warranties perfect condition come check them out infinity of baton rouge and infinity of lafayette welcome back to the clay young show all right welcome back to the clay young show here on podcast 225.com and on itunes our guest on this week's show is Derek lewis who is a ghost writer now we were laughing here before we sat down to do the show 
about the coincidence between him and the uh, former mayor of Port Allen, Louisiana, who uh, is, is, I think he's about to get out of federal prison, uh, but they're not the same guy, but they spell their name the exact same way. In fact, Mayor Lewis, former Mayor Lewis, was the first person I knew to spell Derek that way until, of course, the ghostwriter here. So how often do you run into that? We were actually talking about that with people. Well, people used to make that Pull connection. that mic a little bit closer to you there. People used to make that connection pretty, uh, pretty often until, uh, well, until he ran into, into trouble, and then everybody just wants to pretend. That <laughs> they they <don't>, never <laughs> met yeah. the guy. Never heard of him. Well, where are you originally from? Central Louisiana, a little town called Pitkin. It's around uh, Pitkin? the river. Pit- yeah. Pitkin. Pitkin. Yeah. Okay. All right. Small towns uh, can produce great people. We are claim to fame. Uh, on both ends of the spectrum. Uh, we were cited by uh, Paul Harvey. Yeah. Well, I'll give you the good news first. We have more uh, West Point cadets per capita than any other high school in the U.S. Outstanding. Yeah, well, I mean, the school's only that big. So. That's right. It's, it's yeah. green bean small. Yeah. yeah, I graduated with uh, 31 people, and that was a big wow. class that year. Wow. And then we were also cited by Paul Harvey, as having the same uh, murder rate per capita as Manhattan. Yeah, that's not a good one. But that, you certainly <laughs> want to put that one second on the list. Well, saints and sinners, right? There you go, brother. So you are a ghost writer. Now, how did you get into, I mean, yeah, because the, the, the process of writing can be arduous. There are many people who see it done but don't have an interest in doing it because of how hard it is. What what drove you to become a writer? And then we'll talk about the difference between a ghost writer and then, you know, a standard author. So at this point in my career, I've met, um, I've met probably close to a hundred, a uh, hundred professional ghost writers mm-hmm. and not one of them got up one morning and said, I think I want to write books for other people. Wow. Everybody falls into it by accident. It was the same for me. So uh, we had gone off to, uh, we being my wife and I, Gone off to uh, Florida and uh, got my master's. Okay. Great recession uh, struck in. So the, the career that I'd prepared myself for, economic development, mm-hmm. it, was, it was flooded. There was no way that I was getting into that field um, with the beginning of the Great Recession. So we came back home uh, to be near family. We'd had the first grandchild. And I was fortunate to get a good position as a... Um, as basically uh, the in-house consultant, there is a group of uh, it's a family group of companies, okay, um, about thirty million dollars, and uh, they used me as the to spearhead new projects and uh, and marketing. Well, I'd always had um, a natural talent for writing, but I always thought writing was something that you did once you you know retired. Like John Grisham, he was a very successful attorney, and then he started writing novels after right. he had his career. Right. So I wanted to write. Uh, for myself, but I thought that that would be way down the line. Well, I started doing uh, marketing copy for them and then realized uh, that I was I was pretty good at it. Yeah. And then I started taking on a couple of uh, Moonlight projects, doing short writing like brochures yeah, and sales yeah. copy and stuff for uh, for businesses here in Baton Rouge. And then I got online and realized, oh my God, there are people all over the world that need people who can write well, yes. that understand the world of business. That's right. So I became a copywriter. Mm-hmm. And then from copywriting, um, I found a client one time who, uh, who needed a, a book. And I said, well, you know, I mean, if I can write short stuff, I can write long stuff. Yeah. I had no idea. They were two completely different. Media. Absolutely. Um, but she was patient, thank mm-hmm. God. 
and uh, I am a pretty good student and uh, pretty driven. So our first book, I don't have a copy of my first one that I ghost wrote, but uh, she was incredibly pleased with it. Well, what was it? Out. What was it about? So she is a sales consultant um, working with. Uh, Business to business, right? Mm -hmm. So companies that sell like engineering services uh, to other companies. And so she teach them a sales process. Well, whenever the Great Recession hit, she started teaching her sales process uh, to her local uh, Bible study group as a way for people to not sell their company, but to sell themselves into a job. Right. So this book is kind of translating her business to business sales process to go uh, to be... um, Basically, uh, it's the the economy of one. Yeah. So teaching people how, um, instead of saying your company has these skills and we can you know provide this, to thinking of yourself as as a, an economy of, of one. So mm-hmm. you have things that you can sell into the into the world. So she did it as a ministry, really, um, and it turned out to be a, a great book, The Economy of One. It's interesting. So that's the first one. Your ghost writing. What is the process of being a ghost writer? As opposed to, you know, someone who, like, you know, Bill O'Reilly has has made a living off of his yeah. killing series. He's yeah. done Lincoln. He's done Kennedy. He's done Jesus, although that book was already written somewhere. But <laughs> And I think it's Martin Dugard is like his 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 other writer who basically the word is who, who he does most of the heavy lifting for O'Reilly. So what's the difference? Like explain to to a layman's person, what you do for a person who wants to write a book. So this is the way I explain the difference between a, a, a writer and, um, and a ghostwriting okay. collaboration. Okay. So a writer is both the thinker of the thoughts mm-hmm. and the, um, the writer of okay. the thoughts. Whenever you hire a, a ghostwriter, that person splits into two people. Okay. You have the author, who's the thinker of the thoughts, and then you have the ghostwriter who translates those thoughts into a good book. In other words, they give you the broad strokes, the points that they want to make in the book, the statistics, you know, the experience, the story, whatever. And then exactly. you take those things and make them into what we see as a book. Exactly. It's like um, homeowners that want a home and they have a vision for how they want it to feel and how they want it to look. And they hire a contractor to build it. Well, they, ha- they would first have to hire an architect. An architect to design, to design it. it. That's right. And then the contractor to yeah, build to it. to actually put it into So it. most of your books, from what I'm seeing here, are, are pretty much uh, business books, books that talk about how a person can market themselves, talk about finance. Um, it's interesting. Why is that the area that you, for the most part, have stayed in? That is, uh, it's actually backwards. It's the, the place that it's the type of people who have been attracted to me. Huh. And it's probably because of my business background. So whenever I yeah. put marketing out there, I speak kind of that, that sure. language. Sure. Whereas most ghostwriters come from a background of uh, journalism mm-hmm. or they were um, an author of, of some type or, or in English or they were a teacher. So they come from kind of more of the, the arty, artsy liter, literature right. Uh, background. Right. So because my background's in business, um, that's the kinds of authors that I have uh, attracted. So once I realized that those were the kinds of people who were attracted to me, I started just marketing straight uh, directly to those people. So, I, you know, you did bring a, a book for me that I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into, the business uh, book Bible, Right. So everything you need to know to write a great business book. And, in, and some of the, the copy points that I have, the prep points, 
you talk about why it's why people should consider writing a book. Everyone should write a book. Why? A book is one of the best ways to take the thoughts that are swirling around in the back of your mind. Yeah. And turn them into reality. Okay. It is one of the best forms of therapy hmm. that you will ever have. That's why journaling is is so important because yeah. it's taking those things that have been going around, things that that you you've been thinking but you've never voiced to to anyone else. Yeah, and you're actually forcing yourself to put it into cohesive, logical thought, and that changes your experience with those thoughts. How so? <clears throat> Uh, There's a great quote, and it slips my mind, but it basically says that whenever we are simply thinking something, it is ephemeral. It it doesn't truly exist. Mm -hmm. Whenever we write it down. We bring it into existence. It's in black and white, and all of a sudden it's gone from this kind of dreamscape into our reality. You know what's so interesting about that is I was talking to some friends who want to open their own business, right? And... We talked about it when they were in town recently, but we spoke about it again over the phone a couple of days ago. And they asked, what, what is step number one? And I said, you know, after you go and do all of the legal stuff, you get the tax ID number and you set up the bank account and you get the accounting program and you get the checks and all of that. I said, but next to that, you script out your business. You put it on paper, make it real on paper. I said that. I mean, I've told that, I've said that to people a number of times because if someone asks you, in an elevator pitch format, you know, you got to, what does your company do? Yeah. If you've never thought about it in the moment, you're thinking, Oh God, what the hell do we do? (laughs) (laughs) As opposed to being able to say, I'm glad you asked because you're prepared. So putting it on paper is a, is a great exercise. Even if you're going to start something new with your company, because I do it all the time. So I'll sit down and I'll write it out, write it on paper, as if you were already doing it just to be able to see it for yourself. Because sometimes you might do that. <laughs> you might write it out and go, oh, no, this, this ain't going to work. It doesn't sound no, nearly as no. good. Yeah, no. This sounded better in my head than it does on paper. That's exactly right. So, okay, let's, let's deal with some of your principles of business from the books that you have written. Give us the general top points that come to mind when you're talking about what makes an effective business, what makes an effective business owner, all of those things that it takes to create the entrepreneur that you want to be? Wow, that's a pretty deep question there, Clay. If I am looking, kind of rifling through my, the, the Rolodex, if you will, in, in my mind, I think the, the the huge points that jump out with the, the great authors that I've worked with, one of them has to be being authentic, hmm. being the person that, that, you, that you are. So not, not that swagger to success and fake it till you make it and, hmm. and uh, you know, pretending to be one thing but knowing in your heart of hearts that you're something else. Whenever you're, whenever who you are aligns with the goals that you have and aligns with the action that you're taking to reach those goals, that creates an incredibly powerful leverage that you won't have if your goals are one thing and you're something else, but you're portraying something completely else. Explain that. Elaborate on that last point. Your goals are one thing, but you're portraying yourself to be something else. So too many people was it uh, was it the guy who wrote the Chicken Soup for the Soul book? So that the the reason that so few people 
get what they want is because so many people don't know what they want. Right. So if your real goals in life are to provide for your family, to find happiness, um, to find meaning in life, mm-hmm. but you're thinking that, or the, the goals that you have in the, in the short term are, you know, well, I've got to make money and to make money, I've got to pretend this and I've got to, you know, fake it till I make it. Then you're putting time and energy and effort in one direction but whenever you sit down and really go back to your, your childhood and what did I want to be when I sure. grew up, those things matter. Yeah. Picasso said that every child is born an artist, mm-hmm. um, but as adults, we forget. So we have to go back to kind of, um, well, the only way that I know how to explain it, uh, or the best way I know how to explain it, is that God put us on, each of us on this earth, for a purpose. Yeah. He is, and he has equipped us with different gifts and different talents sure. um, in order to fulfill that purpose. And we have to look inside of our, our hearts uh, to figure out what those desires and those passions are. And as, as long as we ignore that or as long as we don't, don't explicitly um, make those our goals in life, and we're always working towards what we think the goal should be. I've got to have a, I've got to have a big boat. I've got to have a, yeah. you know, a bigger house. I've got to have a, a business with you know 14 employees, whatever mm-hmm. those kind of false goals are. Yeah. It's never going to align. It's so interesting because, and I want to, I want to get into some of the skill sets that, that I'm sure you talk about. Like I said, I can't wait to get into this. This will be uh, before the day is over, I'll be into this. So I already know we're going to do a part two because I'm going to have questions after this, whether it's things I want to get you to talk about that I agree with, or maybe some things I disagree with, who knows, you know, but, but I, you, the point you make about people faking it until they make it. What about the pressure that's put on people to be something that they may not be, but you pretend to be that just to get into the door. Does that make sense? Am I making sense with the way I'm asking the question? In other words, like you said, there are core principles that we all have as individuals. And you talked about the boat and the house and the car and everything. And people feel like supposed to have. That's right. If if I really want to be taken seriously, I have to have these things. And for those of us who have built businesses who didn't have all of those things that you had to really do it one brick at a time. It is the hardest thing in this country to start a business and keep it going. Right. And because you, you, you are your own worst enemy. So how do you get people early on? Cause I'm certain that there may be people listening to us who, who have thought about doing their own thing as the saying goes, and you mentioned pretending, but there are people who think, well, nobody's going to take me seriously if I'm working out of my kitchen and I live in this house in this neighborhood but you don't know. Yeah. Some of the greatest businesses have Stephen, started. Stephen King yeah. wrote his first novel on, uh, I think, a 40-year-old typewriter hmm. on a student desk yes. in the laundry room of his trailer house. So ba- so ju- juxtapose it for people. You know, Take it deeper when you say, be who you are, and you can still be successful. Because people don't buy that anymore. They think that's kind of... An idealism that that's not real. You mm-hmm. you really have to look the part to be taken seriously. That's a great question, Clay. And I think I think there's there are two answers to it. Okay. So on the one hand, we do have to project um, a certain image. Yeah. 
And in fact, uh, I mean, one of the things that I counsel my I, my authors on is uh, is authority, being able to to write an authoritative book. Sure. And so, in an authoritative book, you you don't come across as you know folksy, and things are so wonderful, and and you're a flake. You've got to, and depending on your audience, mm-hmm. sometimes more so. Right. You have to project a certain amount of of confidence. Yeah. Um, so I understand what you're saying about the 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 divide mm-hmm. between who people who people expect to see and then who you who you are. You know, it's it's funny in business that I get all of the surface level things that people discuss, but you have to have an understanding that the, the business is like an individual mm-hmm. that, that needs to be fed, needs to be nurtured, needs to be protected. It's like a child. And again, the business should eat first. Any parent who is, who, who is worth anything would say if only in, and it's the parent and the child or the parents and the child and only one of us can eat tonight, the child is going to eat. Yeah. <laughs> and then because the child needs to be healthy. And I, you know, I tell people that, but that's the thing. It's like, what is, what is the life's blood of a business? Cash. Yeah. <laughs> business has to have cash. If you don't make money, nothing else really matters. What are some bad habits that, you know, when you, that you consult against in your books and in your conversations with people who want to write books? Before I answer that, Clay, can I, can I go back to, I think, is an incredibly important point that you were pursuing okay. about, uh, you know, working in my kitchen and, and people, you know, how yeah. can they take yeah. me or my business seriously? Sure. More important than other people taking you seriously is you taking yourself seriously. Bingo. If you have that confidence and yeah. that belief in yourself... Yeah. Other people will hear that. Whenever yeah. I started ghostwriting, I was a little embarrassed that I, I had a home office and that yeah. I didn't have, uh, you know, to be a successful business person, you have to have a receptionist and you have to have all of this. <laughs> and once I achieved success as a ghostwriter, and more importantly, once I achieved confidence right. as a ghostwriter, I'm thinking to my, it, it never even crosses my mind right. that I, I have a, a home office. And no. Well, because so much in business as in life is result oriented yes. and that's what people care about. And I've always said in business, anything that I can do myself, I'm not going to pay anybody to do. Right. It's like if I can do something myself in my I'm going to do it. I, I'm not I, I'm not too high and mighty to get my hands dirty mm-hmm. because, you know, I, I I come from a family that owned a business and, you know, my grandparents lost everything. Uh, house burned to the ground, rebuilt the house, built the business, and the bu- the building they were in still stands, even though you know they're both long gone. And you just understood the importance of just trying. Yeah. And I don't know what's happening in society now where people are so discouraged at trying. Like I failed at a lot of things, <laughs> but I think if you don't try, you probably don't have many failures. But come on, brother. Failure is a part of life, but mm-hmm. sometimes the fear of failure has to be your greatest motivation to win, right? It's like, I don't want to look bad doing this. I don't want to screw this up, so I'm going to focus extra hard on it. Such is the same in business. Every day is a new day and a new opportunity to do something great. 
if you if you fail and if you never get back up again, I mean, I know it's cliche. Yeah. Fall. What, what, what did Edison say? You know, if, uh, I didn't find 10,000 ways that, that failed. I found 10,000 ways that didn't work. If you, if you study the great successes yeah. in, in history, and I don't, it doesn't matter if it's art or history or, or war or literature or drama, yeah. all the greats, you trace back far enough. They had failures. Oh, That's yeah. how they became great because they learned what didn't work. That's right. I mean, I, I, it was somebody... An, an older guy, I don't know, he said something that was really smart. I said, well, I guess you, not in a smart eloquent, yeah. but just joking. I said, well, I, I guess you know everything. He said, no, I don't know everything. I've just lived long enough to know what doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, there's no, there is no substitute for experience. You know, I'll throw this, I've never said this to a writer before. I'll throw this at you. I've said this before. I don't think I've ever said it like on a show or something. You know, when Einstein talks about the definition of insanity is doing the same thing, expecting yeah. different results. Yeah. It's also the definition of persistence. <laughs> That's a Clay Young one, y'all. Yeah. It's also All the right. definition of, ex- of and it here, sure is. Here, is the di- here is the difference. Information and expectation. Yeah. That's the difference because that's the definition of p- people who have failed at things many, many times and they keep going. There's a reason why they keep going. And then when it works, it's like, huh? Finally. Yeah. I'm validated. There you go. And it, it, it is. <laughs> You're right. You, you can't. Because um, if you do something once and it doesn't work. Right. You can't quit. Yeah. I mean, you have to at least see it through a few times before you know. And you have to get experienced enough to know it's not that it won't work. It's just the way that I did it. That's right. That's right. So when you talk about people, business owners, what are some impressive things that you have either seen or heard from some of the business people that you have been around that you have ghostwritten for? I'd say one of the most um, interesting things about so many of my, so the, the authors that I work with, um, as you noted, I, I specialize in working not just with thought leaders, but with business thought mm-hmm. leaders. So almost all of my uh, authors, they are small business owners, um, usually consultants in, in some form, uh, shape or fashion. And they, and they are, I mean, they are America's like 1%. I mean, mm-hmm. they're not like Donald Trump, sure. but sure. they are, they do very well for themselves and their company. And it is amazing how many of them have learning disabilities hmm. that have dyslexia or that have had um, some other form of, um, you know, of challenge like yeah. that. Yeah. And it was, you know, and, and everybody, you know, sees their own narrative in their own way. For some people it was, well, because I had to overcome that, that's why I'm an overcomer. And for other people, because I, it forced me to learn a different way, um, I started thinking in a different way. And so they, they, you know, come up with different reasons why, but it, it, it is, it's too many people, uh, of my, you know, authors, these successful people that have had those kinds of, of, of natural handicaps, but yet gone on to be a success. Like it's too much to be coincidence. It is, there's something there. I'm not sure what it is. I, I think that, you know, it's, it's so success is such a subjective word. Yeah. Uh, depending on where you are in life. Because what is success? Yeah. Is it the boat in the house? That, is yeah. it having freedom? Is it having, you know, $100,000 in the bank right. that I can blow? I, I think 
success, if I had to define it, is being content. It's, it's being content. And that isn't a function of how much money you have, what's your no. zip code, how large your house <laughs> is, how many cars you have. It's being able to be okay. And some of the most impressive business owners that I have met, I mean, insanely wealthy people, their inner drive is something they can't shut off. But they're also people who have a passion for what's next. Yeah. And they are often people who have gone through tremendous hurt and have had to overcome it. People who told them they couldn't do it or circumstances in life that, you know, disabled them in one way or another. And it's like you talk about, you know, reading about Abraham Lincoln and David Donald's book and and just how flawed he was in terms of his own, his, his view of himself, how low his self-esteem was, how he had a passion not to be like his father. He didn't want to have to work that hard, how he had disdain for reading law books. And he only read them enough to learn what the case law was because what he really wanted to do was orate because he had an ability to capture a crowd with his words. As society, sometimes I don't know that we know what talent looks like because we think we have a sheet that says talent needs to look like this. And so when people come along, well, they, they're not this. They're not this. They don't look like this. They didn't come from here. They don't do that. And sometimes we could miss greatness because we don't know how to recognize it. Does that make sense? In others and in ourselves. And in ourselves. It was um, another great quote. I forget the, uh, the person. But he said, how many artists have, uh, have lived and, and died unrecognized hmm. in, in our lives? especially by themselves. Yep. So we, I believe that we all have greatness in us. I, I believe, believe it as well. That God has given all of us some incredible talents to do something amazing, to do something life-changing. But as long as we let our preconceptions or others' preconceptions sure. get in our way, it yeah. keeps us from achieving that. Yeah. So if, uh, you know, mama wanted you to go to school to be a doctor, but God has given you the ability to be an amazing uh, gourmand. Yeah. You're never going to be an awesome doctor because yeah. that's not what you're getting. That's not your heart. No. <laughs> if you are an amazing entrepreneur and yet you think, well, I've got to, you know, punch the clock and I've got to, to play it safe. No, look, I've got a, a wife and two kids and a mortgage. I, I understand I get it. Right. not being stupid. real life. Right. But you can't just stay there. You've no. got to be working towards what your purpose and your mission is. But you think about countries that were developed centuries ago and the people who said we can do it differently and all of the evolution of society over time that was born out of people who said we can do it better here in America from the Revolutionary War and and the fight through the Civil War and then the civil rights movement that was as much uh, involved it, 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 it as much involved Black leaders, as it did white leaders, who said, you know, we can change and do things better. And and all of the things that have gone on have all been driven by people who weren't afraid to do something different. Forgive me for correcting you, Clay. Okay. They were afraid, but they acted. Well, that's right. Exactly. Absolutely. I stand correctly. They corrected. They were afraid, but they acted in spite of fear. Absolutely. Absolutely. But then again, it's like I said, fear can be a great motivator 
because sometimes what's the alternative? If the alternative is fear, well, we got no chance. We got to we got to keep going this way. There's no going back. Yeah. Right. So for you and some of the books that you've written, first of all, as a how can people reach you? We've got more conversation to have, but I don't want to bury that. How can people reach you, learn more about you, contact you, whatever? So best way is just my website, DirkLewis.com, like the mayor of Port Allen. That's right. Uh, mayor. And we're going to post information on the podcast, <laughs> 225 website, and I'll have it on social media as well. Uh, and just, just for people that wind up on, on that page by Google, you may want to have a link to like an, an update to what, what the <laughs> former mayor is doing now. <laughs> God bless so, so some of the, we talked about some of the, the positive things that you've learned from businesses. What about challenges for you in doing this? What about your own personal discouragements or maybe oh, doubters God. or we naysayers? We could stay here all day to talk about my own self-doubts. <laughs> well, just, but, just, but just tell me, what, what's something that you overcame and in the process and in the aftermath, you learned something about yourself that you consistently give to others? I think about these things, you see. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can tell you. You, you don't go for the, the low-hanging fruit. No, 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 no. I I'll give you the condensed version, Clay. Okay. There was there was a time in between um in between leaving the leaving employment and between going full-time as a ghostwriter. There was uh, about a year in there where I was um I was with uh, with a friend of mine. We had started a uh, we'd started a, a small company, and he's still doing uh, great. Um, uh, Zalandis, there it's an IT company mm-hmm. in, in Baton Rouge, and uh, and the company is doing incredibly well. Um, but during that during that startup phase, um, to kind of make some some grocery money, if you will, I started uh, taking on the side projects, um, moonlighting as a as a copywriter. Mm-hmm. And we do IT during most of the And week. copywriter, for people who don't know, copy, uh, it, it can be script for a radio or television commercial or the copy yeah, that you read writing. in a magazine or yeah. in a newspaper. Yeah, business business writing, usually usually for sales, websites yeah. mm-hmm. and brochures sure. and those kinds of things. Um, but at the same time, I still had an eye towards um, finding, another, finding full-time employment, you know, yeah. just in case... The, the business didn't work out, and especially whenever, you know, we went for a couple of weeks and, you know, things were, we were hungry. You wanted a backup plan. Yeah, because, um, again, I had a wife, kid, and a Sure, bunch. sure. So there was, uh, there was a couple of positions I applied for, but there was one position in particular that I applied for. Um, it was with um, an economic development agency, actually, in this, in this region. Um, Clay, if you would have looked at my resume, and if you would have looked at um, the the requirements that they had posted online, you would think that it was an inside job. You would think that I had that that there had been some kind of backroom deal, and I had said, okay, here's my resume, and they had said to you know the receptionist or whoever, all right, write a description for this position that looks like this resume. Right. I'm telling you, it was that perfect. So I, I mean, I was on cloud providence. Nine. Yeah, I knew it was the will of God. Yeah. You know, I'm going to go back into economic development, which is what my master's in. Um, we don't have to move. It's going to be right here. The angels were singing and the you know, birds were fl- circling. Uh, the problem was uh, that I found um, the position at like 5.15 on a Friday, yeah. which was the, the cutoff. So I said, surely, for, an, a perf- for the, their ideal candidate, yeah. 
they'll make an exception. Right. Because this, it wasn't like, you know, this is like a hard government. You know, it was the government you've got to be you oh, know, yeah. federal guideline. That's right. It wasn't like that. They had the flexibility they could have. So I said, so I, I ran inside. I put together a cover letter just for, for that. Um, I didn't even have to tweak my resume because it was perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Sent it in. Monday, after I dropped the kids off at daycare, I called up to make sure that they had received it. And Clay, they would not consider it. Wow. Because it had come in that evening instead of the you know stark deadline cutoff. What'd you do? I got mad. And then? I got incredibly angry. I, because I didn't give you the, the backstory, but going back, remembering that Imagine going to school and doing everything right for, yeah. for years and then finally getting out in the economy yeah. and you can't find a job to save your life. Wow. So all of so for a few years, there was some frustration and going back and forth. So that was really, uh, as they say, the straw that broke the camel's back. Okay. I decided that I was never going to put my fate in the hands of idiots. Hmm. I was never going to have full-time employment ever again. You were going to bank on you. I said, it's, it's, it's either success or bust because I have been trying to make this work. Yeah. And either I'm too dumb, which I'm not, or that's just not the will of God. Um, and I'm going to stop knocking on doors that haven't opened for years. So that was the day that I, that was the day, even though I had been, for about a year at that time, I had been working uh, in, in, w- with this other company. Even though I was technically an entrepreneur, that was the day I became an entrepreneur. Whenever I decided that I was going to make it work and there was no other option. You accepted the reality that yeah. day. Well, listen, I, here's what I want to do. I want to get into this book. And then we'll do a part two because I want to, I mean, it's a good looking book, but I'm telling you folks, I'll do the recon for you and then we'll get Derek back on again. Let's give contact information. How can people reach you, learn more about you? Uh, So on the website, uh, DerekLewis.com, there's my email address. There's also uh, my phone number and then there's uh, social media. I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook. Instagram, Google Plus, <laughs> Pinterest. Uh, that's right. <laughs> well, listen, this fascinating conversation, and again, it's only part part one of others that we'll do. And awesome. then I, I will solicit for questions on social media and the website as well for people who may want to get into business. And then we will deal again with the issue of you saying, or not the issue, the the, the point you make about everybody ought to write a book. So we'll have you back. I firmly believe that, Derek. Clay, thank you, buddy. I really look forward to it. Clay Young here with John Conroy, the founder and owner of Pest Stop Do-It-Yourself Pest Control. Formosan termites are horrible. I can tell you from personal experience, there's nothing like coming home and seeing that happening in your house. And the first thing I did was call John Conroy. So if you have not had the displeasure of dealing with them, or if you have and you want to make certain they don't come back, here's the man. What do you do? Well, look, if the, you know, just because you're seeing a few termites with wings in the house doesn't necessarily mean you have an infestation. It just means that you've got a colony close by. So if the home hadn't been treated in the last five years or so, you need to come see us because we carry the exact same products the pros use. How do we find you? In Metairie, we're located at 3512 Severn Avenue next to the Pepper Mill. On the North Shore, we're at 1417 North Highway 190. That's in the same shopping center as Sherwin-Williams and Villarese Florist. On the West Bank, we're on the Palco just past the Harvey Bridge. And in Baton Rouge, we're at 806 O'Neill Lane. Do it yourself and get it right at Pest Stop. 
Welcome back to the Clay Young Show. Well, I told you guys that it would be a fascinating conversation with Derek Lewis, ghost writer, and he's just his his general demeanor is so laid back as I referenced in the open, and he just seems like a really really good guy. And after I go through the business book Bible, I'll be able to report back with you uh, to you about it and let you know, and then we'll get him back on to talk more about it. Okay, so Orlando is back with me again, and next week now we are scheduled to have Pat Englade, who used to be the police chief here in Baton Rouge. He's been retired now for, gosh, I guess going on 10 years, maybe over 10 years now. I think it was 04, maybe. So maybe 10 years, 11 years. And he's going to come on and talk about Derek Todd Lee, who was a serial killer in Baton Rouge at a time that we had three serial killers. And Pat and I have been friends for a while. And I could remember the stories that he was telling me back then after the whole thing happened. And it is so fascinating to hear him talk about the information the public had versus the information that they were keeping from the public. From the public so that they wouldn't tip off the guy. And the story, he t- I'm going to get him to tell the story about where they found Derek Todd Lee. I mean, it's, it's pretty common knowledge now that he was in Atlanta. But you won't guess what he was doing when he was in Atlanta or how they were. And I'll just I'll give you this bit of information. They were able to track him using a cell phone. Now, this was before Facebook and Twitter and all of these other 100 social media outlets. It was something. And the murders that Lee is accused and was convicted of of committing are brutal. I mean, absolutely brutal. And then at the same time, in Little Baton Rouge, we had two other serial killers. At the same time. At the same time. Oh, my word. (laughs) And it was so different because Derek Todd Lee broke away from a trend in this country where most people, can, when they hear serial killer, they think white male. It, right. It's no one assumes that's here, weird. That's it, true. but that's no, no one assumes anything other than a white male. And he's not, he's not a white male. He's a male, but he ain't white. And that is kind of the, the mystery behind it. And what the chief went through personally, you know, the criticism, oh, and I can't imagine. He, he talks about the pressure and the way he felt. And, and then when they got him, the, how he reacted to it will just absolutely take your breath away. So that is next week's show. I think that's Exciting. an adequate tease. Exciting stuff. I'm excited. Listen, hit the subscribe button. Listen to the show that way. iTunes, if you have an, an Apple uh, device, an iPad, an iPhone, you can listen that way or on your computer. You can also go to the website podcast225.com and download it that way. So until next week when our guest is former East Baton Rouge or East former Baton Rouge Police Chief Pat Inglade, We'll see you again. Have a great one, y'all. Ciao. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.